Young Academy Groningen presents Humans of Rug. This is Chingong, confidential advisor at the University of Groningen. My name is Anmara Kuitert. I'm a secretary at the University. Humans of the University of Groningen. Your host Sonja Billerbeck. Hi everyone. And Julia Costa-Lobis. Hello everyone. From the Young Academy. Humans, Humans of Rug. Find the podcast at humansofrug.nl or in all the common podcast players. Ching, so you are a confidential advisor. What what does that mean? What's, can you explain your current job to us? Yes, sure. So um, the name pretty much also explains it. So the principle of confidentiality is very important. And my goal, the, the goal of my job is to create a safe uh, study and working environment for both the students and the staff members at the university. But for now, I'm only working with students. So we would encourage students to come to us if they experience any undesirable conducts or unequal uh, treatment. So they they could come to us and we would like to provide a safe environment for them to share their stories and emotions. And I think one of the interesting things about your job is that you are independent from any department and basically anyone in the university, right? So that you can actually carry out your job properly. Yeah. Indeed, that's very important. So we have to make sure that people come to us, they feel safe and confident. There there are no uh, conflict of interests. So we always tell students, you know, everything is confidential. We won't do anything without your express consent. And we also do not hold any functions within the university. So they could make sure that uh, what, what we tell them is really based on their best interests. So that's very important. Yeah. Good. And what does a typical day in the life of a confidential advisor look like? What do you what type of tasks do you do on a normal workday? Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, that we also give a space for emotions. So sometimes it can be very draining for me. Um, usually I would start my day with meditation and yoga. I know that sounds a bit cliche, but that's actually very important for me. And then I'll start with my emails, uh, replying emails and um, um making appointments with students and also talking to them and uh, really the, the main part is really talking to students and uh, yeah. So to, do you mostly just talk to the students or as part of sort of talking and helping with them do you also sometimes have to talk to other parts of the university or mediate or liaise between the student and the people that they are having a problem with? Yeah that's a good question. Uh, really it's it, the students, they have the say. They're in charge of their stories and emotions. And we wouldn't do anything without their consent. So if the students have the need, say, you know, they do not have the courage to talk to their supervisors, then they, we would help them, for instance, to prepare the, uh, the conversation, to empower them in a way. But we, we would not, as a confidential advisor, we wouldn't take over their problems. Yeah, you see? Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so that's that's also comes with the principle of confidential uh, confidentiality. You know, if they don't want to do anything, and I always tell them, you know, feel free. You don't really have to do anything. Um, so it's really up to them. But um, mediator is not really our our um, role as confidential advisor. So you never, for example, attend a meeting with a student and the supervisor, or you mostly sort of do the work behind the scenes. Then, if they really want us to, we will be present, but. Mm-hmm. The conversation should be carried out between the student and the supervisor. We won't just intervene like that because, you know, students, they are in charge. Yeah. Yeah. But then I guess you have the knowledge of all of the different options that the students have and and what they could do, also the different services of the university in order to really be able to orient them. 
Yeah, right. that's a very good point that you raised because um, that's also one of our uh, main job is to provide different options to students mm-hmm. so they can choose really out their own interest which solution they would really like. They can choose to do nothing or if they want, you know, to complain. Now that's another extreme, but it's really up to them. But yes, we prepare that with them. We stand next to them and we support them. You also told me that you actually did a special education for your job. What did you learn there? What is important in your job? What skills do you need? Yeah, um, I had uh, various experience um, um, as helping students before I, I worked as study advisor and also a student counselor. And as a sp- support staff, I don't know about you, uh, uh, I always have the uh, tendency to really try to help. And sometimes I, I take over their problems. Eh? Yeah, true. yeah, so yeah. for this uh, uh, confidential advisor, because I'm, I'm standing here for all students, they can all come to us. So if I'm really like trying to intervene, then I'm going to have a burnout pretty soon. So what I learned from this uh, um, uh, program is really where, where the boundaries are. You know, until certain boundaries, I can help. But beyond that, you know, it's really up to the student to decide what they want. So that's really also help ourselves. And that's yeah. then the point where you jump on the yoga mat and yes. uh, relax. I really need that. Yeah. Great. Maybe uh, coming to you, Anmara. Um, you're a departmental secretary. And actually, I am one of the people you support throughout your daily life. And yeah. I know how essential you are to, um, you know, my uh, my work. So You know, let us know what you do. How does your day look like, and how does what do you do? Well, um, it's a bit different from now than before um, the the lock, the first lockdown. Um, well, my daily my day starts uh, early in the morning, and I just have a quick breakfast, and then go off to the Zernike campus. Uh, I live uh, in a small village uh, outside Groningen, so I I go by car, and as soon as I'm not not a very good in a good mood in the morning so but as soon as i start um, when i enter the building that's all gone because there it starts the day and my day is always full of positive energy that's at, at least I, what i want to want it to be so um, the first thing i do is take a cup of coffee very inter- very important in the morning and i start uh, off to read my emails and answer anything uh, important and necessary And during the day, all people will come by um, in my office to ask all sorts of different questions from a key to an office or how, where to print um, exams or whatever is needed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How many people do you actually support? I know um, from your um, email caption that there is quite a few professors and groups you, you're responsible for. Yeah, there's four research groups at the moment and uh, a total of, um, I try to count them, seven professors and at the moment two tenure-track assistant professors and then of course the PhDs, and the postdocs, the supportive staff, and the, the lab technicians and also students, master students and bachelor students. Yeah, that and, must be yeah. way over... 90, 100 yeah, people? Some, yeah, between 90 and 100. Yeah. So how do you, how do you organize um, your work tasks? I believe you have a lot of different tasks coming in. Yeah. What is the important skills for your job to have? Well, mo- one of the most important skills, I think, is organization. But also, um, and then I refer to Ching, stay calm and um, 
yeah and and try to f- to keep a, an overview of what you're doing and prioritize what's most important and what not i i try not to um prioritize the questions of a professor above the ones of a master student because th- they both need an answer as soon as possible so yeah so when I first started, um, it was actually essential to me that you had such a great network of people. I had the feeling you basically know everyone you knew were to repair my student's laptop. And uh, how how did that happen? How did you grow your network? Yeah, well, um, I started about 10 years ago to work for the university at the reception desk of the Linnaeus Borg. And um, was very interesting because I I grew a network very very quick because so many people passed by, with professors but also students, uh, maintenance, whatever. So within a few, I think years, maybe one year, you already know exactly where to get either the answer or the person who knows the answer or whatsoever. So when I started as a secretary, that was one of the the, the main. Um, reasons why they hired me, I think, because they really liked the network I already uh, had. I, s- I saw you nodding earlier when Ching was saying that one of the important things is not to sort of try and take over someone else's problems yeah. as, as as your own. And that seems to be something that is coming along. Well, um, what, yeah, yeah, you know, what happens is um, my office is really low profile. So if someone um, runs into problems with a supervisor or housing or whatever they f- they easily come to me and talk to me about their problems and I always ask them if they mind uh, me trying to find a solution or to even interfere or to to talk about their problem to the, the supervisor or whatsoever but I'm not trained to do that so it sometimes really hits me hard when someone has a problem and I know I need to do something so the yeah, unfortunately, the university doesn't provide any courses or things in this for me. Mm-hmm. So I do my own courses uh, to to have my toolbox filled with things to keep myself safe. That, yeah, that is interesting. That's one of the things that I guess is not in the job in the job description when you apply yeah. to have a secretary job that you will have. Also, there's, there's important almost. Um, of mental health and daily sort mm-hmm. of support support yeah. role so you said you take some courses um how do you both i guess um do or w- what type of things do you do in addition to yoga or these courses to, to sort of really keep this distance and, and keep a healthy a healthy environment for for your own work well it's what i told you a certain i just uh, finished a course it's called taking your gesprek it's mm-hmm. it's in dutch and it gives you tools to listen to a conversation um, by only listening and, and not interfering, and but but have the people tell their problem, write it down in a certain way. Uh, that's why it's called taking your gesprek, mm-hmm. and and then they come with the solution themselves, and that's the way to keep it away from mm-hmm. me. You know, I just ha- give them the opportunity, but I won't take it home. At least I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, for me, it's really uh, learning by doing. When I was a, st- st- a study advisor, I really had the tendency and it hit, it hit me hard. And then, but we have really amazing uh, colleagues and then you talk about this with other colleagues and that really helped. And then, yeah, with experience and then you know that, hey, 
taking care of myself is actually helping others. Because if I fall, then there will be no one, you know, you know, as a safety net for other students. So I really have to take care of myself first before I can, you know, uh, reach reach out to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe changing perspective a little bit. I think uh, both of you have worked outside the university context. And King, you are also international, so you have a Chinese background. Um, so how is it different to work from a? Do you work? How is it different to work for a university rather than, uh, let's say, a real business? What is what is what is typical university? <laughs> well, um, uh, my education lies in the hotel management business. Uh, I worked in a hotel for several years, um, long time ago, and um, one of the things in in hotel business is that you're really um, outgoing and, and trying to always please people in, in a nice way, of course. And so one of the first things I ran into at the university when I started to work as a secretary was uh, on Monday morning, my first day. I was there early, of course. I had my own coffee and one of the professors came in and his office used to be next to mine. So I said, good morning, sir, very official. And then he went into the office, his office, and I asked him, um, shall I bring you coffee? <laughs> and he, he started laughing. He said, no, 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 I can do that myself. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, this is a different uh, um, uh, business. It's not that way. It's more um, on the same level. And then I only made a mistake once. So I never, I, I never offered them coffee again. <laughs> So do you find it sometimes difficult to talk to um, the academic world? Is there like a, a, yeah, well, a, a certain language you need to learn? In the beginning, I, I was quite formal because this is how I was raised too. And um, I still start off in a formal way if I don't know people. And as soon as they reply, most times it's by email, they reply with their first name. In the reply, I start using the first name and, and deleting the dear sir or madam or whatsoever. Yeah. So it, it feels very non-hierarchical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you want to address the um, the board or something, there's a different language you use. But yeah, that is interesting because sometimes uh, there's there's a certain reputation of academics not being the easiest people to work with. Um, I don't know if that also is something that you have experienced. Yeah, I, I want to get back to the, the point of a hierarchy, because that's what I've learned at the beginning. You know, the Dutch society, everybody's equal, then you can just address the first name of the professor, which is true. But if you go deeper into it, there is actually a hierarchy there. And some professors, okay, this is the animal farm thing. Some professors, they have more power than, than, than others. I don't want to open the Pandora box because I, I was not working in the academic world, but there is a hierarchy. It's true. Yeah. And students, they also need to be aware, you know, you can address the professor by his first name, by his or her first name, but um, there is something out there. So, but you have to feel it at some point when you stay here longer enough. Yeah. But there's also a difference between the Dutch people and foreign people because most foreign people, they they are brought up with a, a kind of hierarchy. They say sir and madam to the teachers already in, in middle school and things like that. In Holland, it's much more easier to address people with the first name. We are brought up like that. And of course, it's, it's what you say. You have to... To feel the difference, but I can imagine for internationals, it's very difficult to understand where it's 
exactly is. I have to say, for the first time here, I found a very nice way to address that problem. So, for example, I've worked in the US before, and there it's also very informal. You will always be addressed uh, by your first name. But in Germany, where I'm originally from, you would be called by your last name or even using the title. So in the Netherlands, I found this nice approach where people would, similar to what you said, Anmara, they have just two lines of approaching you. So either they would say, hi, like they would start actually with saying, uh, beste Dr. Billerbeck or even beste Professor Billerbeck. And then the second line would be, dear Sonia. So in a way, like, you know, it leaves, uh, it leaves it up to you to choose how you want to be addressed. And I've only seen that here. I found that a really nice approach. Yeah, well, I do the same in my emails to, to um, professors from outside the university another university i start off with dear sir and then dear whatever the first name is i sometimes yeah. have now adopted yeah. the very strangely i think it's a british thing to say dear sonia and then in brackets if i may um <laughs> and that sometimes leads to some interesting sort of cross-cultural miscommunication where someone will reply yes you may yes you may call me sonia and i'm like very good <laughs> um but i think lots of these things are, are very cultural and and in in an international environment like the university also where internationalization is now more and more of a, of a topic that is being discussed um, I think this is this you know this is an interesting dynamic. All of these uh, cross-cultural, sometimes miscommunications. I don't know if if Ching, as an international um, admin and support um, staff member, have you experienced some of these cross-cultural mishaps? Maybe sometimes you know funny ones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can give you a story. Um, when I was a, I studied here a long time ago. Um, and at that time, the uh, study advisor at the international office, she really helped me by answering my emails regarding the application, you know. And, and I was very grateful and being brought, in, being brought up in China, you learned, you know, you have to be respectful and you really show appreciation for the people who helped you. So I remember I was shopping with my mom thinking what, what to buy for this uh, uh, academic advisor because she really helped me and I really want to show my gratitude. And then years later, I was in the same position working in that faculty as uh, the academic advisor. And I felt, you know, this is really my job, uh, helping the students, you know, replying the emails. There's really no need for them to, to buy any gifts. And sometimes I would even feel a bit weird if, if they would give me something. What do you want? Uh, so I think that's a kind of like, um, yeah, good realization in terms of the, the cultural differences and cultural aspects. That's just mm -hmm. one example. I always yeah. get presents too uh, <laughs> when nice. people come in. Uh, not always, but especially from the Chinese people yeah. coming in, they always bring something. Uh, uh, as a token of gratitude because I helped them in the story. But let's stay a little bit um, with the topic of uh, internationalization because it's a big debate about it at the university, but um, we normally do not talk about how this affects admin and support stuff. So maybe you can reflect a bit on how, um, you know, how the world works behind the scenes. Maybe, Jin, you can start as an, as an international, how, um, how, how does it affect your, your daily life? Yeah, internationalization, that's, that, that is the policy. Yeah? And indeed, the majority of the support staff uh, at the university is Dutch, which is also very understandable because you need to know how the system works and you need to know whom to turn to when certain problems arise. 
Um, and um, I think the university is also doing its best um, to help, for instance, Dutch staff to understand the uh, the culture better or to be able to speak English better because we have this uh, language and culture policy. So when I was working at the Faculty of Theology, there are certain uh, uh, support staff uh, who, who, who do not feel very confident uh, in speaking English, so they could take the course uh, to be more fluent. So it's really two-way, two, two uh, uh, um, yeah, a uh, two-way thing, you know, for, for the Dutch staff, you should be able to also understand, become more uh, intercultural competent. And for um, international staff, yeah, you're also learning Dutch, right? <laughs> so, yeah, in, in this way, we could understand each other better and then, uh, yeah, function uh, better within the university. And for me, I, I speak Dutch, so uh, that helps. <laughs> yeah, I know very well. We're actually <laughs> in the same language course. Yeah. <laughs> um, But as a confidential advisor, where you're actually supposed to create a safe environment for everyone, is it essential that you're international and can also better understand maybe the problems of international students? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was an international student, so I could really relate to the problems they they encounter. And that also kind of, this this is the added value that I, I, I can provide for this position. I know where they're coming from. And I could understand why they struggle. Sometimes communication problems because of the cultural differences. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really important for me to also be able to understand the Dutch culture. So that's why I think the Dutch language is very important. Because, you know, if I speak Dutch, immediately we have a bond. So, you know, for, for me, as sometimes also this bridging function that I understand both. So I could help maybe to come up with a, a solution that will be satisfactory for both parties. Yeah. So Anmara, you have been at the university for 10 years. Yeah. Can you maybe reflect, on what, uh, reflect upon what has changed over the last years in terms of internationalization, maybe at FSE? Yeah, well, the last 10 years, I'm not sure, but at, at least there are a lot, of, lot more international um, yeah, academics, uh, students, etc. than a few years before. So the most yeah the, the the largest change for me is the language before i used to speak much more dutch and now it's almost all day english mm -hmm. yeah yeah does it also happen to you since you i mean uh, you also have you know in your support function you also help when a new academic or new students arrive you have them you help them settle in understand how the university work which means that you're also in a way dealing with the sort of the first contact moment for these people where they're getting used to a new country and a new yeah. system. Um, how, how does that look like from your perspective? Where, what are some of the things that maybe surprise you, but also surprise the people that arrive about how a Dutch university works? Well, yeah, it's not only about the university, but the, the thing that surprises them most is the, the, um, the informal, we were just talking about the mm -hmm. informal um, surrounding, you know, people just address them, each other by first name and, and, and they, they come in and they, they think professor so-and-so and then after a few weeks they learn his first name and they actually use only first name which is I, I do believe very awkward for many internationals and um, but that's not, the, that's not the only thing also the the common daily things I learned one of the assistant professors she found out after a few years that you can drink water from the tap in Holland she used to start every morning filling her bottle at the watering machine in the Benoeiborg And then one day I said, why do you go to Benoeiborg every day? Well, to fill my bottle with water. I said, you can drink from the tap. Oh, really? So she only found out years after she arrived. So those very 
common things. We think we see them as normal. To others, they are quite astonishing, different, etc. So yeah, it's not only university life. It's for the internationals. It's the daily life. How to rent an apartment? Where to go? Uh, get your registration, your driving license, or whatsoever. Yeah, everything. But make appointments with a dentist. How does it work with the physician, etc.? Yeah, and I remember you also getting really creative about uh, language barriers. I think you told me that uh, it was difficult to communicate with one student in in English, but then it was much easier to write. So you started writing or communicating yeah. uh, by email. Yeah. So how is it? Um, yeah. To to tackle that challenge, communication challenge between so many different languages. Well, I I realized that um, although my my English is quite Dutch too, but when I talk to someone who who doesn't really understand or speak English, you have to ad adapt and speak slower and use less difficult words and make it. Yeah, as in Dutch, they say Jip and Janneke taal. Uh, it's yeah, it's the level of children's books to communicate because they 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 say yes but they, you can see they don't understand what you're talking about so uh, yeah i think in that sense ching you speaking multiple languages is something also that must be very very helpful in in your job i mean i guess in some cases you don't even just use sort of dutch and english but you may also use other languages if, if it's appropriate and makes it easier to relate to particular students right yeah absolutely especially for chinese students mm -hmm. um because yeah we there are some emotions that you can't really express with not not your mother tongue and you know i mean the majority of chinese students here i, I believe that they have a good level of english but Some, they are still struggling. So being able to speak your mother tongue, and especially when you are talking about problems, yeah, yeah that, that, that's really helpful for them to really express what's really going on and what, they, what kind of help they need. Yeah. Maybe staying at the topic of uh, problems, you're both in positions where you support or where you want to support people, but I assume you're also sometimes in a position where you see things going wrong. So can you maybe pick up a story Jane, where you um, you know saw what needs to happen behind the scenes if uh, things don't work that well at the university well for instance I do have experience with um, helping or coaching Chinese PhD students at the Faculty of uh, uh, Science and Engineering um, and this is a disclaimer um, first because what I what I hear is hearsay it's someone else's experience I did not directly had this experience And I also have to say that the majority uh, had a positive experience with the professors during their PhD uh, uh, project. But still, you know, um, with, for the ones who came to me, yeah, they would complain that they had to really work long hours. They hardly had a life outside of the lab. It's Monday to, to, to Sunday every day uh, go to, goes to the lab. And um, yeah, let alone some of them were not equipped with the most up-to-date uh, equipment or machines. So is there a problem? Yes, we think so. But we also have a good support system. So that's why we encourage students to come to us. And this year, I, I, I know that uh, by FSC, they appointed a new PhD counselor. And uh, at central level, there's also a PhD psychologist. And I also know that Uh, the, the central uh, graduate school is also devoting to uh, organized workshops geared towards supervisors. 
to kind of tell them, you know, in terms of communicating with your super, uh, with your PhD student, what do you need to pay attention? Eh? Because, you know, students need to learn about how, how the system works here. But supervisors, they, they are also in a position to, to understand and, and learn more and respect their PhDs. Otherwise, without a safe environment, people won't be able to function to their fullest. And that will be such a shame for both the university and the students. I think this is bringing up something very interesting, which is sort of the ongoing conversations about sort of mental health in academia and particularly the lives of PhDs. And it's it's very interesting to sort of see it from your perspective, because it's neither the perspective of the student or the supervisor, but rather how this these problems that are very serious also affect and are dealt with by a variety a variety of, of other people that work in the university and that basically have to have to deal with them whether because it's their job or as part of the job functions that are not written in the job description like Amara. You mentioned the, the, the mental health of the PhD student and the support they are offering for uh, professors to Um, be better uh, listeners, etc., etc. There's an interesting thing because we also have international professors um, in the university, in the faculty, and I know that some of them are really um, um, struggling with the way the Dutch system works and how they are brought up, and they sometimes even wonder why so much support for those PhDs because they just come and they have to do their job and and those are the international professors we're talking about so there is a lot a lot of to do and to work on uh, within the university to to make a change to be a real intercultural organization because we're not yet is there anything you could imagine could be done better in that sense what what would you wish the university would implement from the behind-the-scenes perspective? I think the university is aware uh, uh, of the, the issues that we're discussing, and I also see a positive move on its way. And very soon we will we were going to have this uh, Umbudsfunktionaris. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Umbudsman. So, yeah, Umbudsman. So I, I, I think that we're gearing towards the right direction. And yeah, it's, it takes time. But uh, I think, you know, we're paying attention to it and we're being aware of it. And uh, so in, in, in this way, I'm positive and uh, optimistic. What do you think? Yeah, I, I hope so. Because um, as I just said, you know, there are so many different uh, um, in, uh, cultures in the university and every culture has its own approach of dealing with problems or students or whatsoever. So I think it will take several years to... So maybe more than several years to have a really intercultural vi environment within the university. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's also one of those things where where having having specific positions that support these people and support these processes of change is important. But also some of the conversations that that are happening around it also highlights that lots of this is is almost the intangible work culture and all of these these attitudes that are very very hard to to change and sort of expectations and and yes um, do you th do you think that just basically policy changes can tackle all of it or do you think something maybe broader where the university sort of have some serious conversation about what cultural elements what work culture elements are contributing to this situation is also necessary beyond 
specific policies. So, for example, um, I think part lots of the young academies in the Netherlands have been having this type of conversations, and they've been talking about, uh, for example, policies where emails should not be sent after hours, or the weekend should be respected, or things like this. I see both of you smiling. <laughs> That would be great. That would be great. <laughs> Please, no emails. Well, I, I actually have, I, I'm not sure which one. I have one of the, uh, I think the professors or assistants professors I work for, and she starts her email, not this weekend, do it on Monday, and then comes with a story. And, and I asked her once, why do you do this? Well, I, to prevent you will answer me. And um, when I send you the email, it's off my um, desk, I can f forget it during the weekend and it's in your mailbox, but don't do it before Monday. So there is, you, you read it anyways mm -hmm. uh, on Saturday maybe or whatever, but I, I like the way she, she keeps on thinking for me mm -hmm. to, pro to protect me during the weekend mm -hmm. of, of yeah, doing yeah, work. Yeah. I think this also shows that everybody's kind of overworked. Mm -hmm. That's why you have this, you know, automatic reply. Usually my mail would probably take three or five working days because, you know, this is a big university and yeah, we have a lot of work and then we also need to learn really how to pr protect ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but this is also something that changed during the lockdown. Before I would always reply any email, whatever, as soon as possible. But the first year in Corona, I really had to to adjust because I was just 24 hours a day on. Mm -hmm. Just the on button went on in the morning and it never went off again. So after a year or so, I had the, the burnout, not really, but I was like, oh, this is not going well. So and then I had to realize I really need to make changes to, for myself to just don't read the email. It's my day off. Don't answer anything. Mm -hmm. And and now I I tend to cope but uh, still yeah do you think this is something you will keep now when we go back to absolutely work? yeah but th then there will be a difference then I, I i don't have an office at home anymore you know then home is home again my own safe home no office there, there is now something that's in in my house is a room where i don't want to go when i'm off because it's my office so yeah <laughs> Just maybe looking back to the 10 or 15 years you both have worked for the university, did the work pressure go up? Or has it always been tough, busy? Yeah, for me, there's no change. No, it's been like this. Uh, I've been working for five years. It also depends on which faculty. I worked at, at the biggest faculty and also the smallest faculty. And I would say at the smallest faculty, it's kind of more vulnerable because everyone is dependent on everybody. And if one person, for whatever reason, uh, is out of the picture, then the task will be distributed to everybody else. So when I was working at the theology faculty, it's a really nice uh, faculty. Everybody is really close to each other. But then the work amount is, is huge. So that's also different per faculty. So that's quite interesting to observe. Have you also experienced changes like Anmara now with, with the corona times? Has, has it sort of brought to your attention something that, you know, was already happening before, but now you've realized that it was not sustainable or we should do it differently and you will change it now when we go back to face-to-face to -face, uh, work? No, nothing to change. But what I do realize is that since we work at home, you, you miss out on so many people in in 
yeah, in stress and deep, whatever. I, I, I'm really sorry for all those people because you normally you would see them every day and you look in their eyes and you have a, a, a coffee or a chat or whatever. You ask them every day, how are you doing? How was the weekend? Mm-hmm. How are you coping in Holland, etc.? And now you just miss out on that. Yeah. And this is really something. Yeah, so all of yeah. these support tasks become yeah. way more way more difficult. Yeah. And I'm yeah. guessing also when it comes to, to your work as a confidential advisor, Ching, that, that also really changes how you go about doing the work. Yeah, what I miss the most is really the, the, the social support from your colleagues. Because, yeah, it's very gezellig at the FSC. Um, but uh, yeah, but one one thing that might be for the future is this hybrid. You can work some some days at home and also work some days at the office. Sometimes I, I feel at home I could also concentrate better. So depending on the, the 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 job, if I need to really write something strategic, I would prefer you know not being disturbed. But I would really prefer to be able to uh, talk to students face to face, and that's really that's better for the students. So maybe to close up, what's Why do you like working for a university? What's the what's the pleasure behind it? <laughs> uh, first of all, the international surrounding. I really like all the the different cultures and people coming in. And um, yeah, I think I really work at the best faculty for that uh, course. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I I love the two holidays that we have: summer and winter. <laughs> And uh, uh, being surrounded by just so many young and uh, aspirational students make me feel young as well. <laughs> and there are always uh, interesting opportunities, um, for instance, uh, workshops or presentations are happening in the university. So I feel I always have the, the chance to learn and develop. And last and but not least, um, you know, university is the place where the cutting edge uh, innovation technologies and also the exciting Uh, ideas take place and I think as support staff we feel very proud to be able to support and facilitate our uh, staff members and students so it's very fulfilling and um, yeah and you and you are uh, you are able to be in a nice podcast too <laughs> <laughs> exactly well we definitely appreciate your work <laughs> very much thank you so much not only for being in, the, in this podcast but for everything that you guys do for all of us as a university community I always uh, tell my incoming uh, new assistant professor colleagues, um, it's good you can work with Amara because uh, everyone needs an Amara who kind of solves all your problems magically. (laughs) So thank you, Amara and Ching. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Rug by the Young Academy Groningen. Be sure to tune in to the next and please subscribe for free on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, for example. All the best from Sonja Billebeck. Bye bye. And Julia Costanopoulos. Thank you.